This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Russia began its conscription campaign to boost its manpower in Ukraine. Protests broke out in response to the announcement, leading to more than 1,300 arrests. Some detainees were told to report to enlistment offices, according to independent news outlets. Prices for flights out of Russia have skyrocketed, with many selling out. Dmitry Peskov, a Kremlin spokesman, called reports of an exodus exaggerated. As for allegations that arrested protesters were being served draft papers, Mr Peskov said that was not against the law. Japan's government intervened in the foreign exchange market to prop up the weakening yen, its first such intervention since 1998. The yen's value has fallen to 145 to the dollar early on Thursday from 144 the day before, in response to the Bank of Japan's decision to keep interest rates low. The authorities' decision to stem that fall boosted the yen's value back to 142 to the dollar. Sergei Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister, defended the invasion of Ukraine during a meeting of the UN Security Council in New York. Mr Lavrov said Ukraine was, quote, brazenly trampling on the rights of Russian and Russian speakers living there and accused the West of pushing a false narrative of Russian aggression. He then abruptly walked out of the meeting. Britain's Foreign Secretary, James Cleverley, said Mr Lavrov left to avoid the, quote, collective condemnation of this council. Protesters in Iran set fire to police stations and vehicles amid ongoing demonstrations over the death of Masa Amini, a young Kurdish woman in police custody. Though fiercest in Iran's Kurdish region, the protests have also spread to Tehran, the capital, and to some 50 cities and towns across the country. At least seven deaths have been reported. A UN-backed war crimes tribunal upheld a genocide conviction against Kamar Rouge's last surviving leader, Kahu Samhan. Mr Samhan, once Cambodia's head of state under the brutal Kamar Rouge's dictatorship, had been found guilty of the genocide of the country's Vietnamese ethnic minority in 2018. The decision marks the end of 16 years of work for the court. The Bank of England raised interest rates by 0.5 percentage points to 2.25%. The bank also predicted a second consecutive quarter of contraction, officially a recession, but warned that further increases might be needed to tackle rising prices. Inflation in Britain remained stubbornly high in August at 9.9%. Ugandan authorities confirmed at least seven cases of the Ebola disease. They are infected with the Sudan strain of the virus, for which no vaccine has yet been tested. The cases were identified in the central region of Mubende. The World Health Organization dispatched a team to assist the Ugandan authorities. And fact of the day, $1 billion, the annual economic contribution made by the lobster supply chain to the state of Maine. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. China unleashes its strategic pork reserves. The philosophy of China's president, known as Xi Jinping thought, can be maddeningly vague. 
Its aims include realizing the people's new aspirations for a better life, which does not narrow things down much. But on occasion, China's policymaking apparatus fleshes out these skeletal generalities. According to the National Development and Reform Commission, a planning agency, one of the people's expectations for a better life is stable pork prices. With the National Day holiday approaching on October 1st, the Commission wants to help families afford a feast on their favorite meat. On Friday, it will release thousands of tons of frozen pork from the state's reserves for the third time this month. This should help restrain prices, which were 22% higher in August than a year ago. The Commission has also promised to crack down on price gouging and collusion among food suppliers. It seems producers' aspirations for a better life can make it harder to meet everybody else's. Russia prepares to absorb parts of Ukraine. On Friday, Russian-installed puppet governments in four occupied Ukrainian territories will begin asking residents whether they want to join Russia. As with a similar sham referendum in Crimea in 2014, a yes vote would be a pretext for formal annexation. The polls will take place over five days in Russian-controlled parts of Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporozhye regions. The process is unlikely to be free or fair. Russian media have published questionable polls predicting between 80% to 91% support. Ukrainian authorities claim the Russians' own polling suggests that no more than 10% of the population will turn out. In Zaporozhye, armed policemen will accompany election officials in door-to-door voting. In a televised address on September 21st, President Vladimir Putin said he would guarantee the annexation process with Russia's full range of weapons, including nuclear ones. Russia's Western adversaries have condemned the plans. France's president, Emmanuel Macron, called the process a parody. Ukraine is urging its citizens not to take part, and for adult men to leave the region in question to avoid being mobilized against their own country. Democrats' eye gains in the Senate In the past 22 American midterm elections, the incumbent president's party has gained Senate seats on only six occasions. Democrats are hoping that Republicans' subpar and incendiary candidates will make November 8th the 7th. Among the competitive races is North Carolina, where Donald Trump will appear at a rally on Friday alongside Ted Budd, a Republican congressman, gun store owner, and co-sponsor of a bill to ban abortions after 15 weeks nationwide. Though Republicans have carried North Carolina in nine of the ten most recent presidential elections, opinion polls have Mr. Budd locked in a dead heat with his Democratic opponent, Sherry Beasley, a mild-mannered former state judge. The Economist's forecast model puts Mr. Budd on top, but his chances are dwindling. The threat of more abortion bans has energized Democrats across the country. 
Just 46% of Americans support the sort Mr. Budd has sponsored. The issue looks likely to help Democrats retain and perhaps expand their Senate majority. Overall, our model suggests Democrats will pick up one Senate seat in November. Britain's Big Mini-Budget On Friday, Kwasi Kwarteng, the new British Chancellor, will launch a budget in all but name. Dubbed a mere fiscal event, Mr. Kwarteng's speech will unveil a host of tax cuts and handouts that will dwarf many bona fide budgets. Most significantly, the government is expected to outline how it intends to pay for an emergency guarantee that could cost over £100 billion, $113 billion, after it pledged to reduce the average annual household bill to around £2,500 from a predicted £6,000. Tax cuts could include reforms to stamp duty, a levy on house sales, as well as an accelerated reduction to the basic rate of income tax. That would be welcomed by voters facing high inflation and rising interest rates, but it would hurt government coffers. Stamp duty brought in nearly £19 billion last year, and unlike a proper budget, the fiscal event will not be accompanied by a full economic forecast by the Statutory Office for Budgetary Responsibility, an official watchdog. Expect spluttering among both wonks and opposition parties. Federer's Farewell After 24 years and more than 1,500 matches, on September 15th, Roger Federer announced he was retiring from professional tennis. Despite the inevitability of the announcement, the 41-year-old has been injured for more than a year, it still shocked the tennis world. Mr. Federer has inspired books, breathless profiles, and more encomiums than any other player on the circuit. Many fans consider him the greatest ever to wield a racket. Some have spent a fortune to watch his final appearance, a doubles match on Friday at the Laver Cup in London. The five-year-old tournament pits top European players against their global counterparts. Mr. Federer, who is Swiss, was one of its founders. Rod Laver, an Australian legend after whom the tournament is named, will be in the audience. Mr. Federer's greatest rivals will be there too. Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal will be his teammates. Mr. Nadal will even be his doubles partner. Mr. Federer says the cup is the perfect platform for him to properly say goodbye. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday in which novel by Charles Dickens does Thomas Gardgrind declare, Teach these boys and girls nothing but facts? Thursday. 
which Carrie caught for babies, is named after a biblical figure. The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our weekly crossword published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Nirlana Dunyamalieva, Baku, Azerbaijan, North America, Rebecca Clements, Toronto, Canada, Central and South America, Sebastian Agudelo Restrepo, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, Europe, Rasmus Joland, Stockholm, Sweden, Africa, Daniel Malamy, Makanda, South Africa, Oceania, Kevin Fernandez, Melbourne, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of meritocracy, murder, opted, and yellow. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. And finally, here's the quote of the day from Pablo Neruda, who died on this day in 1973. If nothing saves us from death, at least love should save us from life. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.